Hey, great to be with you. We're going to turn to God's Word. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read from the Bible. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you speak to us. You're a God who speaks. You're not a God who is silent. And you haven't left us as orphans, Lord Jesus. You've uh, come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this great privilege of opening up your Word together as your church and reading it in the power of the Holy Spirit as we gather in your presence. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that this is a chance to experience truth, to come face to face with real reality as it truly is. And so we pray now that you would speak to every heart in the room. God, we, we uh, put aside distractions. Um, we don't care what's happening on the news right now or on social media. We care about what's happening in the spiritual realm. We care about what, what you want to say to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd speak. We know that's the most important thing we can experience today is your voice. And so, Lord, we ask, would you speak to us today in Jesus' name? Use me, Lord, however you want, however you want, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're going to turn to the passage. It's going to be on the screen. So we're up to Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 35. Um, The message today is entitled, The Messiah is Good News. And so let's read it. Um, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, uh, told him about all these things, all the things Jesus was doing. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to, uh, to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they'd been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. What a wonderful passage. uh, I've never preached on this passage before, so I'm really looking forward to getting into it with you. Have you ever experienced a change of status? 
Have you ever experienced a change of status? I can see many people here, and I can tell just by looking at you that you've experienced a change of status because you're sitting next to a significant other and uh, wearing a ring, and you experienced a change of status, of marital status, right? When you went from being single to being married. There are some people here who have even had grand, then had children. You experienced another change of status. There are some people here who have even had grandchildren, and you've experienced another change of status. You're now a grandparent. That's a status. That's a thing. How wonderful. Uh, applying for a job, you experience a change of status. Firstly, you're not an applicant. Then you apply, and now you're an applicant. And then they call you up, and they say, we've shortlisted you. And so now you're a candidate on the shortlist. That's your status. Then you get the job. Woohoo! Now you're an employee. You've experienced a change of status. And you are the lowest rung on the ladder with all the others. And then you get promoted. And then you have to look at these other employees who are of equal status to you five minutes ago. And now they're below you. And how do you deal with that? Um, and then you get fired. And you, you carry that, that box out of, the, out of the office and you know that you've had another change of status. Some changes are easy to understand and some are a little bit more subtle, and a little bit more difficult to come to terms with. Uh, when I went to year five, I went to a new school and uh, it was an OC class. So it was a, a class for smart kids and I just scraped in and uh, they were better than me at sport, smarter than I was and they looked cooler than I did and they, they were better than me at sport. And I spent the next two years feeling like a bit of a loser. That's a status, by the way. Loser. That's the lowest status that we have in Australian society. Loser. I think it's even lower than bogan or yobbo. I think loser is the worst. Um, you're a loser. That's the lowest status. And I felt like a bit of a loser for two years. And then uh, recently, I arranged for a reunion of our year six class. It was our 25-year reunion, 25-year anniversary of graduating from year six. And we went down to the park, and we even had our teacher there. And uh, she was lovely, and she was connecting with us all. And uh, she was loving it. She was lapping it up. She was so enjoying this opportunity to connect with all of us. And then this weird moment came when she said, okay, guys, I'm leaving. But it's so great to see you all. It's great to see how you've grown, you've, you've, you've changed, you've developed, you've had kids, and you've traveled the world, all these sorts of things. And it's just so interesting seeing who of you is the most zen and she looked at me and she said, Tim is the most zen. And, what, and she, then she said, and who would have expected that? <laughs> and it was this very weird moment where I'm standing there and 25 years ago and now I'm the most zen, whatever that means. I think she noticed something about Jesus. So that was a change of status. It's a bit hard to come to t- interpreted that as zen, whatever that means. So that was a change of status. It's a bit hard to come to terms with. I'm looking at these people thinking, what does this mean now? If impact is there and now I'm the most Zen. How does that relate to how do I live? How does that impact how I live? And of course, it doesn't impact it in any way because then the reunion's over and we all go home and we don't see each other again for another 25 years. Um, I experienced another change of status when I was in an airport in Johannesburg. Who's been in the airport in Johannesburg? We've got some South Africans here. A bunch of missionaries to a conference a leadership conference for our mission organization, and it was in South Africa, and uh, we're on the airport, at the airport going home. And a friend of mine, Ben, he'd bought a really cool, and um, his son, um, while we were in, in South Africa. And we're at the, the check-in, and um, we only had hand luggage, and he expected to take this cricket bat in a bag and put it in the, the carry-on, um, 
And the lady said, you can't, you, you can't take that. And she said, does it fit in your suitcase? He said, I don't have a suitcase. I've just got to carry on. She goes, you can't take that. He goes, can't I just put it in a bag and put it in a... You can't take a cricket bat on a plane. He goes, no, no, no. It, that, that's like a weapon. You, you, can't, you can't take a cricket bat on a plane. And, he, and we realized that no one around us had full luggage. And, and she said, you, you're just going to have to leave it here. You, you have to give it to someone. And as she said, give it to someone, she had a little twinkle in her eye. And I, I said, Ben, let me handle this. And I said, do you have any kids? And she said, oh, actually, yeah, I've got a 10-year-old son. I said, do you think he'd like a cricket bat? She said, he'd really like a cricket bat. And I said, I'll tell you what, we'll give you the cricket bat. And totally unrelated, we'd like you to see if you can upgrade us to business class. <laughs> you know, unrelated because that would be a bribe and we don't do bribes and it's not a good idea to do bribes, especially in foreign countries, just so you know. You don't want to get put in a foreign jail. Um, but I, you know, I just said, hey, look, you know, would you mind checking to see if we could be all upgraded to business class? And she said, sure, sure. And so we handed her the, the, the cricket bat, and unrelated, she was checking to see if we could be upgraded to business class. Anyway, a few minutes later, she goes, I've got your boarding passes for you, and hands us these boarding passes, and it says business class on the boarding pass. And I was like, wow! And I just said, you know, and by the way, we're all pastors and missionaries. We're, we're going to pray for you. We go through security and we go straight up to the business. And we kind of walk away and, and we're super excited. And we, and we go through security and we go straight up to the business class lounge. We've got like two hours to kill. And we go to the business class lounge. We walk in and, you know, we're kind of like, you know, pretending to be worthy of business class. Um, and we walk in and, and, and we give the, our boarding passes to the people at the business class um, desk. And they're looking at them and they're a bit confused and they're looking at the computer and and it's taking a little while. And I said, excuse me, why is this taking so long? Uh, you know, put it with my best business class voice. Um, and they said, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Please, please, come through, come through. And so we go in and we see all this wonderful food, all these free drinks. And we're like, we have like four missionaries and we're just like grabbing these little plates and piling them up with food. And, you know, we go sit down and we think, wow, we've got two hours to spend here. This is going to be great. And so we're slowly nibbling on the food, knowing we've got to spend, we've got to like make it last for two hours that we, you know, our appetites. And we're, we're just sitting there and we're enjoying it. And about 10 minutes later, um, the staff rush over to us and say, your tickets aren't really business class. <laughs> you need to leave. And, and we're like, what, what? And they said, these are economy tickets. They're just printed on business class cardboard. <laughs> and uh, you need to leave this, 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 uh, this lounge. And so we stood up, and I looked over at this food and the drinks, and I realized I now don't have access to that food and that drink. I thought, I wonder if they wouldn't mind me just grabbing a can of Coke as I walk out <laughs> of the business class lounge. But I didn't do it because I'd experienced a change of status. I was worthy of the business class lounge, at least I thought I was, and, and then all of a sudden I'm not. And so there's a lack of access, there's a change of status. You know what it's like to experience a change of status? Maybe you've, you've got Australian citizenship, maybe you, you, you received that as an adult and you experienced a change of status. It's quite an interesting... Uh, I want to jump in coming to terms with the change of status. Uh, I want to jump into the passage. There's a lot going on. We're going to work through it together. Just have a look at screen one. Uh, go back to the, yep, there we go, screen one. So John's disciples, John is doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what's happening. John the Baptist is like, I'm not quite sure that Jesus is the Messiah. So he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the Messiah or not? Now, why would John be doubting that? John the Baptist is the one who 
told everyone, behold the last pro-Messiah, the sin of the world. Like, like, scroll back a couple of years. John the Baptist is the biggest pro-Messiah person around. Do you know what I mean? And now he's sending his disciples and saying, I, I just want to ask for sure, like, could you make it really clear, are you the Messiah or not? Now, why would he be asking that? The answer is, he is in prison. He's in Herod's prison. And John knows that the Messiah is this figure like King David, who is going to come along and set everything right. And so John is expecting, the same as what a lot of them are expecting, that, that the Messiah is going to come and defeat our enemies. Right? He's going to kick out the Romans, for starters. We definitely don't want them around. And he's probably going to get rid of this Herod guy, because he's a bit weird. And he's certainly not going to leave me in prison. And so John's in prison, and he sends his d- disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? And then there's this, this juxtaposition. A juxtaposition is where you've got two ideas that are, that are totally opposite, and they just get pushed right next to each other, right? There's this juxtaposition in verse 21. It says, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So what's happening is John's thinking, are you really the Messiah? The, the, his disciples coming up to prison, you're not defeating the Romans. And then we have the, 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 his disciples coming up to Jesus to awkwardly ask him, are you the Messiah? Let's be honest, there are some pros and there are some cons of Messiah. You know, like, let's be honest, there are some pros and there are some cons. And you're not really meeting all of our expectations. And it's like, and then that's juxtaposed with this reality that at that understanding that, hang on a second, maybe we've got it all wrong about what the Messiah is sick and why. We expected that he was going to defeat our enemies, but he's healing our sick. And why is he doing that? And the answer is he's a different kind of Messiah. He's not what you expected. You expected someone to come and defeat your enemies, but actually he's just healing your sick. And it's a very different picture. It's not King David, you know, killing Goliath, killing the Philistines, killing everybody else all over the place. Jesus actually isn't going around killing anybody. He's actually just going around healing people, restoring them, and raising the dead, which is the opposite of killing, in case you hadn't noticed. So he's a different kind of Messiah. I just want to ask straight away, what would be missing, what would be lost if Jesus had played by the rules and been the who would defeat the Romans and What would we miss if he'd just been another kind of David figure who would defeat the Romans and set up Israel as a nice nation state? What would we lose in the story? Well, we'd lose the heart of God for the broken. We'd lose the heart of God. We wouldn't capture, we wouldn't understand that God cares about the broken, about the poor, the sick, about the losers. Jesus would have set up a nice society, but the lepers would still be lepers. The blind would still be blind, the deaf would still be deaf, and the dead would still be dead. But Jesus says, when Philip asks him at a different passage in the New Testament, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What he's saying is, the way I behave in the world is a perfect expression of who God is. 
And so if Jesus had just been like David, we would have missed so much. I find it quite interesting that it feels like we don't really focus on the healing stories of Jesus enough in Western Christianity. I don't know why. It feels like we, we want to think about theology, about you know, what, what it means to believe in God. And, and these healing stories, it's like we almost don't know what to do with them. I, I want to tell you what to do with them. Read the healing stories and know that they express the heart of God. The heart of God. The, the story just immediately prior to this is one of the most beautiful healing stories that there is. If you just look back in your Bible, it's, it's the story of the, the widow of Nain. And, and what's happening is there's a funeral going on. And there's, there's, there's a widow and her only son has died. And they're carrying the only son. These, these, these pallbearers are carrying the only son who's died. And the widow is going along weeping. And nobody asks Jesus to help. That's what I love about it. Nobody says, hey, Jesus, look, like, could you please raise my son from the dead? Nobody comes. It just, it just says, but Jesus looked and had compassion. And he walked over and he touched this, this beer, this thing that they're holding, and they stopped walking. And, he, and he, he, he says, young man, get up. And this, this boy gets up. And then he says, Jesus gave him to the mother. I think that's the heart of God, to just come into our lives and see our brokenness and Messiah. And that's what we'd miss if Jesus was just a normal Messiah. Jesus then says to John's disciples, go back, verse 22, report to John what you've seen and heard. And he, and he lists six things that I love here, a list of six things. He says, go and tell him what you're seeing, what you, what you actually viewing happening right here. The blind receive sight. I don't know what it would have looked like. Did the ex-blind people all like form a little group in one corner of the field, you know? <laughs> and then be, did they like, like chat to each other and be like, what are, you, what are you enjoying about what you're looking at? You know, did they, did they sort of do a small group kind of, you know, discussion about what it feels like to not be blind anymore? But that's what's going on. The disciples of John are seeing this. Look, this, this is the group of people who used to be blind and I've just healed them and now they're like looking around like this and crying. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The paraplegics now are walking around. There'd be all these walking sticks that are just lying on the ground near where Jesus is. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. There'd be all these people who had lived outside of society because of leprosy, because of the skin disease, and now they're welcomed back into society. The deaf here, what would they be listening to? There'd be so much chatter going on, so much noise. <laughs> I don't know what, they would have been overwhelming for these, these deaf people who now can hear. Would they be singing? What would they be, what would they be focusing on and listening to? The dead are raised. In the group that Jesus is saying to John's disciples, look, look, these are the dead. These guys were dead like five minutes ago. I've just raised them from the dead. Maybe it's that, that boy who's just been given back to his, his mother. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. I want to say here, poor, poor doesn't just mean people who don't have much money. It's, it's everyone who needs some good news. Everyone who needs some good news is, is in that circumstance poor. They're, they're, they're broken, they're a loser, and they need someone to come along and fix things. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's what I'm doing, that's what this is all about. And I love how this picture of what Jesus is doing physically also works for us spiritually. 
And I believe in physical healing. We've got to pray for the sick. And now we see. Also spiritually, I mean, we, we were blind. And now we see. We were immobile. We didn't know how to serve God, how to be pleasing to Him. And now we can walk. We required cleansing and He's cleansed us in the gospel. We were dead in our sins. So I'll go back. We were deaf. We didn't love, and all of us didn't know what he was saying, and now we can hear him. We were dead in our sins, and he's raised us up. And all of us who have come to Jesus and given our lives to him at some point have considered ourselves poor claims of some good news, and we've received the good news that Jesus proclaims to us. And I just want to highlight for a second that what I'm talking about is a change of status. If you used to be blind... And now you can see you have experienced a change of status. If you used to be deaf and now you can hear, you've experienced a change of status. You are now in a different category and you are coming to terms with living in this new category. And that's what Jesus does. He offers you a new status and encourages you to come to terms with the new status that you have. That you have. And one of the one of the, the direction I'm going is one of the biggest problems as Christians is we haven't come to terms with our new status as citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's like going over to screen three, it's like Jesus says, Okay, look, we're already talking about change of status. So let me just use John as an illustration for a second, because this will be helpful to kind of teach people what's, what's actually happening in the gospel. He says this, he says, um, <clears throat> what did you go out in the wilderness to see? So he's talking to the crowd, and many of them had gone out to see John the Baptist. He's like, why did you do that? Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? In other words, did you go out for some nice desert scenery? And, uh, you know, the Jordan River is a beautiful river. The desert, you know, we think of the desert, we think of like the Australian desert, which is beautiful anyway. But it, the, this doesn't mean desert like in, in that term. It, it means just like the wilderness, the, 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 the scenery. Did you go out to see some scenery? Did you go out to enjoy the Jordan River, have a little swim? No. No, you didn't go out to do that. You went out to see somebody. But why did you go out to see this person? John the Baptist was not dressed in fancy clothes. He was not from high society. They were all in the palaces. Why did you go out to see John? He says, well, you went out to see him because he was a prophet, because he speaks the truth about God. And, and all of a sudden, we're finding this, this weird um, disconnect between the status that the world offers, those who wear, have fancy clothes, they're sitting in king's houses, they're sitting in palaces, and, and the fact that actually that's not particularly satisfying. We're not going to go and look at them, like, you know, fine to follow um, the royal family on social media, I look at it every once in a while, but it's not going to satisfy you, you know, seeing what, um, what whatever their names are, whatever they're, they're up to. <laughs> it's not going to say, like, they're sitting in palaces, yeah, well, you know, good for them. We actually, you, you didn't go and see them, you went and saw this prophet. Why? Why did you go and see a prophet? Someone who's eating locusts and wild honey. Why did you go out to, the, to see John? And, and he says, yeah, you went out to see him because he's a prophet, because he was preaching the truth about God. There's something else going on that's different to the world's structure of status. You went out to see this person because he had something that you needed. J-Bap, John the Baptist, in short, J-Bap. He's a cool guy. He doesn't fit the bill. 
Why would you go and see Jabab? What do you want from Jabab? And he goes, look, you, you, did, you went and saw him because he was a prophet, but he's more than that. He's the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And I love how Jesus starts to explain the importance of Jabab. Um, in the Old Testament, there are lots of different prophets, right? Moses was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet. Lots of different prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus says, Jabab was better than all of them. He was greater than all other prophets. You go, wow, Jesus, why is that? Why is Jabab? Well, because John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. John the Baptist is like the final prophet of the Old Covenant who is preparing the part, preparing the way for Jesus to come. He preached repentance, baptized people, got them ready. And Jesus is now arriving. Jesus is on the scene. And so John the Baptist is the greatest of all prophets. But Jesus even says this radical statement in verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there is... Right? So John... The Baptist is greater than Cyrus the Great. John the Baptist is greater than Herod the Great. John the Baptist is greater than anyone the Great. And in Jesus' estimation, if he's greater than everyone born of women, we're talking status here. We're talking John the Baptist is greater than Albert Einstein. John the ba Baptist is greater than Socrates. He's greater than Plato. He's greater than Gandhi. John the Baptist is greater than Genghis Khan. John the Baptist is greater than Homer. Or Marx, he's greater than Julius Caesar. John the Baptist, greater than Buddha. John the Baptist is greater than every other person's ever lived because he was the final prophet to prepare the way for the coming of the Son of God into the world. And then Jesus says the next part of the sentence. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. It's like, hang on a second, Jesus. <laughs> you can't be serious. So the least Christian, the Christian who is genuinely saved, genuinely knows you, but who stumbles and falls and, and sins the most, he's greater, he or she is greater than John the Baptist? Who is greater than Albert Einstein and Muhammad Ali and everybody else? Is that what you're saying? That if you know him, this up, this is the words of Jesus. That if you know him, if you're part of his kingdom, your status is higher than Jabab. And Jabab's status is higher than everybody else. So, have you ever met anyone greater than Einstein? I have. I'm looking at a room full of people greater than Einstein. To say, Tim, this is, this is outrageous. Yes, it is. It's outrageous. And Jesus said it, and we're getting into it. Um, this is something that's a little bit difficult for us Australians to understand. I think you're benefited if you have some other cultural heritage. Asian, African, South American, because you understand status better than we Australians do, right? Because we're so focused on cutting down the tall poppies. You know, you're just the same as me, mate. You know, you're no better than I am, mate. Do you know what I mean? Uh, when we were in Russia, I used to show people this clip of ScoMo on the lawn. Did, did you see that clip of ScoMo on the lawn when Scott Morrison was prime minister uh, and he was doing a press conference and he was standing on somebody's lawn and the guy opens the door and says, could you get off the lawn, please? 
And Scott Morrison in front of the, all, you know, the, the, the cameras are rolling, the media's all there. And this guy's saying, can you get off the lawn, please? I've just reseated it. Can you get off the lawn, please? And the prime minister says, oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Can you? And, and then the, the, Scott Morrison was then off the lawn, but some of the press people were still on the lawn. And the guy goes, I've just reseated it. Could you get off the lawn, please? And ScoMo in, in front of the camera says, just get off, the, get off the thing, you know, get off the thing. And I showed that to Russians. I said, could you imagine that happening with President Putin? <laughs> President Putin, get off the lawn. <laughs> and of course, the, no one can imagine that happening with President Putin because Russians understand status and we Australians, we don't understand status. Right. Status is something that isn't necessarily connected to achievement. Right. That's our, that's our struggle in Australia. We think, what have you done for me lately? You know? <laughs> what have you achieved? If you've achieved something, I'll respect you. If you haven't achieved anything, or you, I can't really, I'm not really sure that in South American cultures respect you for anything. Do you know what I mean? In, in um, Asian, African, South American cultures, you're, you're much more accustomed to respecting someone just, just because of their status, because of their status, not because of what they've achieved, just because of their status, right? And, and so you who have that, that cultural background, you've got a, a, um, you've got a benefit over uh, the Aussies who don't have any extra cultural background because you're able to read the scriptures and understand things like this. What Jesus is saying is that every Christian has a higher status than John the Baptist, and John the Baptist has a higher status than everybody else. That's what Jesus is saying. Why is that? It's because you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist didn't live long enough to see Jesus die on the cross. John the Baptist never had communion. He never knew about the resurrection. Um, he didn't have the Holy Spirit come and fall on him as a part of the, the redeemed community of the church of the living God. He wasn't a part of the Great Commission. John the Baptist missed out. He was the greatest of what came before, but he missed out on membership of the kingdom of God on the earth as Jesus intended it and as Jesus brought it. And therefore, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, your status is higher than John the Baptist. If you're still struggling with this, oh, Tim, how can you be talking about status in modern Australia? A few things. Um, Jesus isn't talking to modern Australians. Remember that. Right? He's talking to people with different cultural assumptions than us. And secondly, the one place where we understand status in modern Australia is inheritance. We still kind of think, the vast majority of us, that if someone is born into an uber-rich family, that that child has a right to inherit what their parents earned, even though that child has done nothing to achieve that. Right? You are the child who has been born into the uber-rich family. It is the family of God, right? It's better than being born into Kerry Packer's family. It's better than being born into Rupert Murdoch's family. It's better than being born into Elon Musk's family. You've been born in and adopted into the, the, the family of God, and if you believe in Jesus, you are a son or daughter. That has implications. That has implications for the way that you live. That has implications for the way that you live. Firstly, verse 29 and 30, everyone's, invi everyone's invited. The tax collectors who were the traitors, wow, <laughs> they heard Jesus' words and they were excited about it. Woohoo! 
wow, <laughs> they were the rejects. You know, these are the traitors. These guys have sided with the Romans. And it's like, you know, they're the, they're the losers, right? And they're like, whoa, how good is that? We're not losers anymore. Just want to put it out there. You can't be a loser and a Christian at the same time. It's impossible because you've been adopted into the family of God. And those who put their hope in him will never be put to shame. And the Pharisees and experts in the law, people of high status in Israel, are feeling a little bit left out because they rejected the purposes of God. Jesus then goes on to explain a little bit of the implications of this. He says, what should I compare this generation? What are they like? They're like children in the marketplace saying, we played a pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you. I don't know how to sing a dirge. And you didn't cry. Now, what does that mean? He's saying, the world is saying to us, you're not playing by our rules. You're not dancing to our tune. Why? Why are you Christians not playing by our rules? Why are you followers of Jesus not dancing to our tune? And the answer is, because we don't need status from you. The reason Christians don't dance to the world's tune is because we don't need status from the world if we already have status, identity in the kingdom of God. But it's difficult, isn't it? How do I come to terms with this identity that I have as a child of God and as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? How do I come to terms with that? I understand that that will be helpful for me, right? I understand that if I have a strong sense of my identity as a follower of Jesus, if I know who I am in Christ, that will be helpful for me in many ways. So how do I get there and what will that do in my life? Just some closing thoughts. Back to the opening question. Have you ever experienced a change of status? Yes. I once was not a part of the people of... Now I am a, I am a part of the people of God. I once was not a child of God. Now I am a child of God. I once was not a citizen of heaven. Now I am a citizen. So that means that it's been radically changed. So that means that when I look at the world and the games that the world is playing, I start to realize that I don't need to win a game that has no prizes. I don't need to win a game that has no prizes anymore. Trying to achieve isn't going to be motivated by a desire for identity. I have an identity that is secure. What this does is it breaks the idol of career. It breaks the idol of career. You can still have a career and be a Christian. In fact, I think being a Christian will help your career, but it's certainly not going to be an idol anymore because you don't need to be successful in order to have an identity. Secondly, it makes us value everybody. Because everybody can be a, become a child of God. Everybody can be given this radical change of status. Thirdly, it makes us really therefore greater than Einstein if they just come to Jesus. Thirdly, it makes us realize that we don't... It's like if you... <laughs> have you noticed that everyone's now obsessed with going viral? It's like if you, <laughs> you, know, you just want to get famous on TikTok and, <laughs> and then everyone will be ordinary. Are you okay with being ordinary in the eyes of the world? Ordinary in the kingdom of God, the world. We're still extraordinary 
in the kingdom of God. We have this status, this position, being the least in the kingdom of God, greater than he. I, I think we all, and it breaks your feelings of being a loser as well. I, I think we all probably experience settings where we feel like losers. I know I do. You know, it, it might be you're hanging around with people who are really intelligent and you feel like you're not as intelligent as they are. Or they're really well-dressed and you're not as well-dressed as they are. Or they're really successful and you're not as successful as they are. Or, or you know, they're, they're all, um, they all know something about NRL and you don't even know which one that is. You know, is that union or is that league? You know, like you, you, and in those moments, what you need to do is come back to the status that you have in Jesus. James 1.9 says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. I'll say it again. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. That is, whenever you feel like a loser, you need to be like, whoa, hang on a second, I am a member of the kingdom of God. And this starts to affect the way you live. Because you're not craving something that the world offers, you're then able to love people, you're able to feel secure, you're able to actually enjoy your life. Because your questions have already been answered. So how do we get there? If you don't care about how wonderful it is to be in the kingdom of God in any given moment, it's simply because you've forgotten how wonderful the king is. If you don't care how wonderful it is to be in the kingdom of God, it's simply because you've forgotten how wonderful the king is. And we invite the band up. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is worthy. And this is why you feel a change of status in start to realize because when we worship him, when we praise him for who he is, we start to realize we're a part of his kingdom, we're a part of his family, and we start to get lifted up in this experience of worship. And so my encouragement to you is recognize the radical change of status that you've experienced in the gospel and worship Jesus and allow that to flow out into your life. Hey, Lord, that you would honor the word we thank you for how it speaks to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would honor your word by working in our hearts. Bring about change in us. To us, we invite you to bring about change in us. Lord Jesus, some of us have been stuck with the idol of career for too long, trying to play the world's games, to dance to the world's songs. And we want to repent before you of that. Father, some of us have felt like a loser for a long time. We don't realize how you, Jesus, you accept us as we come to you. That actually that's the best state to come to you. I need your good news. Come and say, heal me. Heal me. I'm here. I need you. I need your good news. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would work in our hearts. And start to replace these, these broken cisterns with your living water. Start to flow into us so that we might know what it really means to be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.